So, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the War Room to the Boardroom. I'm your host, as always, Mayshawn Wilson, Global Business Strategy and Operations, Go-To-Market Strategy at Google, Combat Veteran, Duke MBA in West Pointer. Today, we have my guest, Ms. Seanette Rochelle. She and I will be discussing her transition into executive coaching and slightly entrepreneurship. For those that don't know, Seanette Rochelle, she's a president, executive coach, and public speaker at Excellence Unbounded. She also served as an MP officer, operations researcher, and West Point Assistant Professor of Economics. She's a graduate of West Point, the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, and Georgetown University. And so, Seanette, I'll pass it over to you from here. Thank you, Mayshawn, for having me on. I do want to clarify, when you say slightly entrepreneurship, what do you mean by that? The conversation, like just touching on it, or I'm just dabbling in Or dabbling in it, because right, you typically see people do their, their 20 and they, they go over to the corporate side. They're kind of doing their own thing. Okay. More, yeah, more than that. It's, it's, it's full-blown entrepreneurship, but just, just wanted to clarify. Yeah, so... And kind of diving in for our listeners who don't know, can you share a little about yourself? Kind of where are you coming from? How did you kind of happen into this military thing for our listeners that don't have much background? Sure, sure. So I came like many people, military family. My father served. He had an uncle that had served. I have aunts and uncles that have served and cousins. So grew up with that as an army brat moving all around. And it was never really interested in it until high school. And that was around the time that Desert Storm was kicking off and the possibility that if it it continued past the initial projected period that we would need to PCS and then my dad would deploy. And that got me thinking about larger issues of service and ways to give back. And then we Ended up moving, but because of how quickly Desert Storm wrapped up, he didn't deploy, but we moved to Fort Campbell. And then being in that environment gave me the opportunity to think about it more. We had a neighbor who was a West Pointer. My dad had done ROTC. He had a book set that was about, you know, the the journey from plebe through first year. And he gave it to me. I read it. I you know, drank the Kool-Aid and it was kind of off to the races from there. That's a, that's quite the context. And did most of them serve full careers or did you approach it thinking in that mindset? So my dad did serve full career. My aunt and uncle did. And then the rest of my family members, they, you know, enlisted for a term or two. And then they transitioned on into other opportunities. And so when it came to that decision, going to the military, going to West Point versus going to RFTC, what kind of pushed you in one direction over the other? Was it the neighbor? Was it a realization? Can you walk through that thought process a little bit? So I was intrigued by the books that the neighbor had given me, and I would ask him, and he would tell me these really entertaining stories. Then another neighbor, she was dating somebody who was in his plebe year at West Point, and at the time, I didn't realize that when he came home for Christmas, he probably didn't want to talk about West Point. But that was my main objective was that, oh, he's back for Christmas. I want to ask him a bunch of questions. So he answered them. And then I had the opportunity when I was a junior to do the kind of pre-candidate visit. 
And I went up and the cadet that was my host, or I don't remember what we called him, but sponsor, whatever that term was, she was just a really cool, normal girl. She had a lot of really great friends in the company and, you know, outside of the company. And so as we were going around and it was right after recognition. So it was a time when all of the plebes were all of a sudden very happy. And she was introducing me to everybody. It was a, it was a great experience. And that really shaped for me that, oh, this is something that I could do. And I, I do want to try. And so while I applied and got ROTC opportunities at a few other schools. For me, it was it was all about West Point. And then, like reflecting back on your career, why did you decide to stay for as long as you did, or continuing to serve in additional years? Can you talk about that that thought process and that decision? Yes, I think like for for many people, it's the case of you're having fun at different points. You're not having fun at certain points, but what I found was the points that I was not having fun were not as long as they seemed in the moment. And the recall of them got fuzzier once I started having fun again. And I was getting some really amazing opportunities. So when I was approaching the five-year mark, we were deployed and then I had gotten the opportunity to go back to West Point to teach. So I'd been accepted for ACS and the opportunity to do that while still on active duty, have the military pay for it, and then go back and teach at a school that had played such a fundamental part in shaping me was an appealing opportunity. Then after teaching at West Point, going to work at the Pentagon, And when I was approaching the time to leave there, I got the opportunity to do training with industry with Gallup. So I took advantage of that. And then I I knew that that was kind of going to be the last thing because I could feel that this is starting to wind down. (laughs) I'm ready to take on some new things. So I completed the service obligation that came with that with full recognition within myself that it was going to be time to start a new chapter and do some new things. That that prompts a lot of questions, but uh, kind of before I dive into that, Mm -hmm. what questions did you ask yourself? How did you go about that process of soul searching? Mm -hmm. Share with our listeners, where are you now? And what exactly does that mean? Executive coach? Yes. What does coaching mean? What does that look like? Right. So I work with entrepreneurs who are trying to solve complex social, cultural, economic, and environmental problems. For me, it's really about having that impact and supporting the entrepreneurs that are trying to wrestle with a lot of the big challenges that I'm not expecting that more bureaucratic organizations, be it the government or big business, is necessarily going to tackle. So What that looks like is I really work with them to help them develop in four key capacities, mindset, courage, resilience, and innovation, because, and not to throw like another thing out there that we need to discuss, but after I retired, I took a sabbatical and crisscrossed the globe. And in talking with a lot of different entrepreneurs, that was a consistent theme that came out of those conversations. They weren't fixated on different technical things or some of the things that 
can often bog you down in the day-to-day grind that is entrepreneurship. They were recognizing that they needed to further develop themselves so that they would be up to the challenges that they were facing. And so that's where I, f- I focus. And so in your role, you're more of like, I guess, because it sounds a little bit more like therapy, sounds a little bit kind of like a mentor advisor, kind of how would you define it in maybe more military parlance for our listeners that are not as familiar with like, oh, well, like you tell me what I need to do, but you, you no, 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 I do not do that. <laughs> No, it's not it's not advising and it's not mentoring. It's really collaborating with the entrepreneur in a way that's more like a thought partner. So they set the agenda for how we use the time that we meet to go back to something that you said of being like therapy. It therapy is very much like a healing agenda and it's looking backwards at events. Coaching is very much a forward and designing plans to move forward to action is the orientation of coaching. So while people that I coach will often touch on elements that may also fall in their personal life, because we know that the things that challenge us in work, we don't have these clear walls always to where it doesn't then bleed over in other areas. The focus is always on understanding how they're relating to whatever the challenge is and then how did where do they want to be and what are the steps to actually getting there and the way that I do that with clients is really just leading with inquiry I might reflect back things that I hear we know sometimes when someone says well I just heard you say and you go no 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 that's not what I meant or or oh did that come out like that and allowing them to better understand their thinking And then also offering feedback sometimes on things that I observe because we often demonstrate how we feel about things through our body language, through the the tone in our voice, all of that. So it's, it's great because it's both an art and a science, understanding things about adult development, human psychology, but also being able to connect with people and listen to them really deeply and then asking the right sorts of questions to help them become more aware of their thinking and how that's shaping the decision-making and, and how they even are thinking about moving forward. That's helpful context. So combination between incorporating various humanities, kind of like applied leadership development, the kind of a, a mix of those coming together. Again, that's 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 fair. Yes, <laughs> I know we've had conversations about this, but I also know that you know most of my listeners were not on these hour-long chats that we've had. So I have to be respectful. Appreciate appreciate it. Yes, I can sometimes assume that people are in the same lane as me because I love it so much. And did you know this is what you wanted to do when you were you know getting towards that that end or feeling that transition point internally, or is this something that you kind of fell into? Can you talk about that? How did that discovery process go? So I mentioned that I had worked at the Pentagon. And when I got there, what I was doing was working on what ultimately feeds into the president's budget. So in doing that work, what I found was that it was not as intrinsically rewarding as I would have liked it to be. That I I appreciated the people that I worked with, really enjoyed the people really enjoyed getting 
the opportunity to learn more about what that process looks like and how our government reaches that point. But I didn't love it. And so I was doing what I would always do when I was a commander and a platoon leader, which was I would go around and find out what, you know, at the time, soldiers here in the Pentagon, my, you know, civilian counterparts or junior officers would were working on what sort of goals they had. And then I would start trying to figure out how I could help them reach those goals. So as I was relating this, it was mentioned that, hey, you might want to consider looking at a coaching program, and it'll also help you with managing your own emotions as you're you're frustrated with this kind of Groundhog's Day of the POM is what they call it. The I think it's the, the program objective memorandum is what it stands for. And that's what feeds into the president's budget. So I did some looking, discovered Georgetown had this program. And then I talked to my boss and said, here's what I'm interested in doing. And here's you know how I think it would also help in what I'm doing now. Would there be any education dollars to support this? And he said, you know, let me let me take a look and find out. And he came back a couple of days later and said, you know, we can pay 50 percent of it. And so I was like, outstanding. And then they agreed to also give me the three days off a month, which of like a six or seven month program that it was. And so I did that. And from the first day of the class, it was like my brain just exploded because everything that they were teaching just landed and resonated so much. And I could immediately see how I could use it to help other people. And from that point on, I knew that in some way, shape or form that coaching would be a part of my future. I didn't know that I would do it, you know, full time as a business, but I knew that in some way that I would continue to do it always. It's it's great to see when when you have good people that can support you in that, that process. Also curious, in pivoting mindsets from the military where you have a DA pan that kind of guides what your career past trajectories look like, can you talk about advising people when there is no clear linear path? They can look however people want it to. How do you help people navigate, both yourself navigate that, I guess, asymmetry? So when I was probably three and a half, maybe maybe four years out from retirement, I remember I was on the phone with one of my Wharton classmates and we were chatting and I was telling her, you know, I'm trying to figure out because I know I'm going to retire in, you know, four years or whatever it was. And I want to try to like line up kind of the the, the dominoes. <laughs> and I remember her listening very compassionately as I was talking about all this. And then there was an extended silence. And then she said, you know, Seanette, I know that from what you're accustomed to with the army, that you always know many years out what you're going to do. And it's, it's a very structured process, but the rest of the world doesn't operate like that. It's much closer in. It might only be a few months out. If that, that they know what requirements they're looking for or what they want. And so I think you you're just going to need to let go of some of that need to have it all planned out 
And then she said, you know, I know you've been talking about this sabbatical because I've been planning that since like 2014. And she said, why don't you just like give yourself that time, go and play because you never know what opportunities will open up or what things you can't see now that might exist. And I remember that landing on me like, a ton of bricks in terms of just how how much it opened my eyes to the way that I was conditioned to be, which is not a bad way. It's the way that the army is from the time that you are at your, you know, now it's called the basic officer leadership course. Back when I did it, it was OBC. But from that time that you're there until the end, every year an assignment officer comes and tells you, here's where you are on the timeline. Here's where you want to be if you stick around, like for the next opportunity. Here are the things you need to do to get there. And then it even shows it, you know, if you want to stay 30 years, like here are all the things that you need to do. And I don't know that you fully realize until you start to remove yourself from that process, how much that shapes your way of being and even your comfort level with certain degrees of uncertainty. Certainly in deployments and other things, military people can be some of the most flexible, adaptable, resilient people because the situation requires it. But you're very much conditioned with career management, talent management, for it to be a very structured kind of lockstep way. And when that is the case year after year after year after year, it, it shapes the way that your mind works in some in some ways. And so for me, it was helpful to hear that and then be able to be more conscious about knowing that there's not going to be, for me, this was my case, a clear plan of what the next thing is. I'm going to go do this sabbatical and have a couple things fixed and planned in that and create a lot of space for serendipity and what might come up. And that that process helped me continue to kind of relax my grip and get more comfortable with not knowing exactly what the next thing would be. That seems like not only quite the adjustment, but also a little bit anxiety producing it. If you're used to this environment for say 20, 24 years of your life, not to mention growing up as a military brat. So maybe your entire life and then to kind of pivot it on its head. You know, would you say that's fair or? It was, it was in the beginning. I will be quite candid. There were many days, my final assignment was at Fort Belvoir. There were many days where I was driving home and talking to my mom about how much anxiety I had because I was trying to do several things. Just the process of, as you know, transitioning out of the army is enough of a time suck and all of the wickets that you have to clear for that. And when you're trying to do it at the end of 20 years, it's it's a lot that you have to, to do professionally and personally. And then I was also selling my condo and trying to plan a road trip with my sister and my nieces, and then my actual sabbatical and starting to try to figure out where I was going first and finding a place. So 
there were multiple pieces that I was trying to navigate at the same time, along with just the process of letting go. I was ready to transition, but that didn't make the letting go any easier. And I think that that's something that everybody just about can experience. You might have a party and celebrate when it's finally done, but that march up until that point, and even for a little bit afterwards, you're you're shifting from something that you've known, whether it's five years or 20 or 25 years or 30 years, and that in and of itself requires courage and a lot of acceptance that things are going to be different and whether or not they're going to be great. Differences and changes create discomfort. So it was it was a lot to handle. And I think what was helpful for me was just instead of trying to eat the whole elephant at once, was just breaking it down into small bites. And the more that I focused on that particular day and what needed to get done that day, the, the easier it was. And so in terms of breaking it down and thinking about the smaller pieces, can you talk about when you approached the sabbatical idea or your Thornton classmate suggested that to you? No, no, what? I had the idea already. She she knew about the idea. It was something that I've been thinking about since 2014. She was just saying, rather than try to plan out like what job you're going to have on the back end and get all these pieces in place, just go and enjoy that. And so when you were planning your sabbatical, what was like your things was like, hey, I'm just going to go and connect with people and like see different places. I remember seeing some of your newsletters and like email updates. And so can you talk about that process and kind of what function that served for you as you did that exploration or really just unwinding? Yeah. So when I initially conceived the idea in 2014, I just really wanted to go and check out Colombia because I had met some people from Medellin. And I also had a classmate from business school. She's from uh, Lima, but she had done her business school internship in Medellin. And I remember hearing all these wonderful things, which ran counter to what at the time most Americans thought (laughs) about Colombia. And so I thought, oh, you know, that would be cool to go there for like three months and then get to work wherever. And then by the time it was 2017, I was chatting with people And more and more possibilities were kind of being thrown out like, oh, you know, what if you were to do whatever? And another business school classmate, we were talking and she had done a sabbatical a few years prior and she'd gone to a couple different places. And she said, you know, what's really cool is that you can kind of go wherever and and just look at things that are interesting to you. And do you have anything that you need to be doing by a certain date? And I was like, no. So I just started planning it. And then I had done exactly what I was trained to do, right? I planned it from soup to nuts, like down to every single day. And then I thought about it and I was like, wait a second. I might, you know, there might be things that I will discover along the way. And so what are the things that I absolutely want to see or places I want to be or need to be at certain times for something I want to do there? And then after that, I just kind of started deleting cells and leaving them open. And then things would come up. People would say, oh, you know, have you thought about or a West Point um, friend was stationed at the embassy in Kuala Lumpur. 
he and his family were there. So he was like, oh, you're in Chennai. You know, it's a direct flight. And I didn't go there directly from India. But after I went a few other places, I went there. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to go to Malaysia, you know, Singapore is right there. I'll go there. And oh, they're having a blockchain conference. That'll be cool to check out. And then I was like, you know, I'm kind of close to Vietnam and I've been wanting to go there for years. And so by not loading the calendar with specific things, a lot of little things and other opportunities came up. And what I was doing was a, a combination of research on different things like microfinance in Bangladesh and fintech and food insecurity in India. And then, um, you know, like I said, blockchain in Singapore. And, and then in Vietnam, it was really just recreational and looking at designs of communities and the smart city work that is being done there by a couple of different organizations. And one of my business school classmates, his firm was was leading some stuff there. And so I was able to meet with somebody and, and have a conversation. But lots of different opportunities like that came up. And I was using it to meet with a lot of different entrepreneurs who were doing interesting things that I wanted to learn more about, you know, buy somebody a drink or a coffee and just chat about things. And that was really sparking a lot more thought as well as just personal reflection because solo travel, much closer to living really with people not doing like, I didn't do it the Airbnb style or hotels for the most part. When I was doing longer stays, I had apartments with, you know, and made friends with local neighbors and had to deal with all of the normal challenges that they would deal with in their apartments and, and where they lived. And so there's, of course, culture shock with that. So it was a lot of getting the chance to learn more about myself, as well as investigating topics that ultimately ended up feeding into the business and, and the work that I do now. It sounds like an amazing trip. So by understanding correctly, one really leveraging your West Point and working networks, just kind of be open to the opportunities and where they take you rather than creating another hard deadline and schedule for what's supposed to be an unwinding or, you know, transition experience. Absolutely. Yes. And so I guess the next question that comes up for me is, as you did this pivot into this exploration, can you talk about the thought process to pursue this like leadership development as opposed to the different paths that say a typical, you know, someone that does their 20 years ago and do like, oh, I'm going to go and work for a defense contractor or fall into this corporate role or maybe even become an academic. Can you talk about, it seems like there's maybe some alignment maybe towards the academic piece or like other elements. Why was this a particular venue that worked the best? I think it was just because I gave myself the time to explore a lot of different things. And that allowed me to see what was lighting me up and what really resonated with me was all of the learning that is a part of entrepreneurship. I had the opportunity to sit on a panel earlier this week and the other panelists, we went to dinner afterwards and, you know, everybody founder has their own business doing interesting things. And what we were talking about was 
you know, what else would we do if we weren't doing this? And I said, I can't think of anything else because as somebody that loves learning and learning new things, this is the only thing that I've found where I literally am guaranteed to learn something new every single day. There are lots of different opportunities and jobs that I've had over the years where there's been tons of learning. So I'm not saying that, you know, that didn't occur, but having your own business and particularly as a solopreneur right now, you're responsible for everything. And while it doesn't always work out, I think that the true joy is in the journey and being able to look back and I can even say, wow, what I know now compared to like two weeks ago with respect to X, Y, or Z, it's it's really exciting. And so by not rushing into the next thing or defaulting to that need to have a clear plan X number of years out, aligning myself with an organization that probably would have been a great company, but not the right fit or you know, going into defense contracting, which I just inherently knew that that didn't, that wasn't of interest to me. And I always wanted to be more on the practitioner side with business, not the theory. So from the academic perspective, it's absolutely great and fun to teach the concepts, but I wanted to actually do the concepts So that kind of ruled that out. But by taking that sabbatical, I was able to see what things really resonated with me. And then it became, oh, well, this is the path and the thing to do. And I think if for those that are transitioning, if you can afford to give yourself that time and it's not, you know, it's not to say it's as much time as I took, even a few months or, you know, if your circumstance is depending on your circumstance, even a few weeks to give yourself time to further downshift and process and get clearer about the things that are interesting to you because people mentioned opportunities and, you know, people emailed and wanted to see if I was interested in X, Y, or Z. And when I would read that and I would really pay attention to what was going on inside me, it's like, oh yeah, I actually wasn't excited about that at all. Like all it says all the right words, but that's not interesting to me. So giving yourself that opportunity to take some time can allow you to be more in touch with what it is that you want so that you don't just on an impulse take an opportunity and then find out, oh, this isn't the right fit. And then you're you're quitting a job and trying to find something relatively quickly thereafter. So if you have the time, take it to really do the soul searching. And even if it's not, say, as long as your trip, sometimes you really do that buffer and figure out what that is. It's really important. Next question I had, in terms of peeling back the veneer, because there are a lot of opportunities that could appeal or sound interesting, how did you kind of sort through the noise? It really was paying attention to how I felt internally. And some of them, like it wasn't a stomach turning, but it was pretty close, you know, like, oh yeah, I definitely don't want to do that. And then in other cases, it was, "Mm, is that even really somewhere that I would be a great fit? And 
And then in other cases, I think it was just a recognition that I I don't want to be, for me, I was very much looking for greater autonomy in my own life. And so opportunities to have that were important to me. Organizations that, that wouldn't open that, it wasn't interesting. And then the more that I started to pay attention to that, I recognized bottom line is I don't want to work for anybody else. I want to be my own boss. I want to chart my own path. And taking 13 months and crisscrossing the globe and deciding like, oh yeah, I'm going to go here next. And oh, I'm interested in learning about this company. Let me look in my LinkedIn. Like, does anybody have any connections? Oh, let me, you know, get on WhatsApp for this group of alumni and see if somebody can make that. And so what I was seeing was that the sabbatical was actually setting me up to have that greater autonomy and to see that, oh yeah, you're actually developing further the skills that you're going to need in the next chapter. So from here, where are you trying to go with excellence about it? What's like, are you trying to be more like a, is it higher echelon, upper echelon? Are you trying to be more like in the crystal group or are you trying to just kind of see where the solopreneur trying to take you? So right now I'm actually in the process of writing a book. And with that book that'll come out in March of next year, what I'm hoping to do, one, is really shift and, and create a conversation within the entrepreneurial ecosystem that opens up a dialogue about the way in which the ecosystem is thinking about the entrepreneurial journey. I think that the where it needs to go is away from this focus on what I would term these conventional journeys that really center around access to advisors and execution of certain tasks that kind of fall within a playbook and giving greater prioritization to the development of the internal capacity that is so foundational to the work of entrepreneurship because of the way that that actually then impacts how entrepreneurs carry out the things that are part of that conventional journey which are important things, but right now they're kind of the only show in town. And then if there's time or space, maybe there will be a focus on developing the capacity of the entrepreneur. And what I'm saying is that, no, that actually needs to shift and you need to put the focus here because of how it will then change how they carry out these critical tasks. So I share all of that to say that One, that is a big piece of my focus for the rest of this year is getting that put together and continuing to meet with lots of really amazing founders, venture capitalists, and entrepreneur support organizations to get their input and their perspective as I'm working on this. What I'd like to do in the next stage is actually create some partnerships with some of the accelerators and with different venture capital companies that are investing in organizations that align with the types of entrepreneurs that I support to be able to bring the the work and the insight that I have 
to those entrepreneurs so that they can be more successful in continuing to scale their businesses and have the the impact that they want. So with that, I'm in the process of building some more relationships with other coaches and finding the right sorts of people that for larger contracts would be able to collaborate and collaborate in the way that allows the entrepreneurs to benefit from the focus on mindset, courage, resilience, and innovation that is so critical to them leading themselves, their teams, and their companies effectively. So working with a broad range of organizations that are kind of at that cusp of developing that entrepreneurial talent to kind of help those entrepreneurs not only build that, that skill set, but also think about their problems or challenges in a, in a different way. Right? Yes. And so from there, I kind of, the last couple of points that I have, can you talk about how your lens looks a little different based on your experience, both as a woman and as a woman of color, whether that's through the coaching process or navigating leadership through kind of your military career? I mean, from the time that you're at West Point, you're aware of of a different lens that you have just because of your own lived experiences and then recognizing that it's that the, I mean, an institution that's founded in 1802 has, has a certain perspective that has been well established. And when women enter that class, the first class of women graduate in 1980, then you're, you're aware from everything from the cut of the uniforms to the, the curriculum that is the foundation of the institution. And then the physical programming that's there that this institution was designed for other people originally, and now you're here. And so I think that that creates a, it creates an environment where you realize that you need to be up to the challenge. And I I think that it helps foster to take from Angela Duckworth, a grittiness that is there. And what I found was that it served me well throughout the rest of my career, because you have to develop a bit of a thicker skin and a perspective that you can't take everything that seriously. I found that it it led to a bit of a warped sense of humor and <laughs> I think a compassion for supporting other women along the journey and particularly other black women. So for me, it was an awareness that, hey, I need to to step up my game and and support others and, and accept support when I can get it and look for a lot of humor in the things that are otherwise frustrating about about being at West Point and then as continuing on in my journey while in the military. But that now that I'm thinking about it and saying it out loud, that actually helped, I think, draw a community towards me in a lot of ways and a lot of enduring friendships to this day. 
That's helpful. And yeah, it makes sense given the unique nature that is the academy and good memories and bad memories, you know. Yes. <laughs> have its impression on us all. And so from here, any, I guess, words of wisdom, whether that's tools that you help that helped you kind of go through the journey, whether that's like books and podcasts. And then I'd like to pivot to like what you're working on that you like to share with our users as kind of our last. So in terms of words of wisdom, I would really just say that if you're able to give up the need to know all about what lies ahead and take it more, maybe not day to day, but month to month or year to year, depending on what your comfort level is, that you create more space for possibility. And I think that that is where you can find a lot of joy in reasserting control over your path because the military requires that you surrender that. You have, you know, specific assignments you might get a chance to list your preferences and then maybe you get something that's within your top three and maybe you don't. But as you're thinking about the transition, this is where you actually can design what it is that you want next. You just can't expect that you're going to know as far out as you would know with your military assignment and all of the things that are ahead. So if you can give up that need to know a far far distance in advance there are a lot of amazing possibilities that are out there and by investing in your circle of people that actually care about you which usually starts within your alumni networks and family friends there are more possibilities and opportunities than you would necessarily think are out there and so invest in that and don't be afraid to take a chance on yourself all great nuggets i think uh those are a lot of words you've heard to me as i was looking at business schools and even when i was a cadet on church section so it sounds very uh, very apt last piece you mentioned you writing a book are there any other like projects initiatives or collaborations that you're working on that you like our listeners to kind of follow not anything else that I want to share right now. The biggest thing really is the the book and this undertaking has been significant, a joyful significant because of the opportunity to go a lot deeper in the concepts and to spend a lot more time thinking about them. I actually will add, if I can double back to one other nugget for your users, something that I've realized in this process, not to say that everybody should or needs to write a book, but there's something about the power of a project. And so if you know that you are in the process or you're thinking about transitioning, consider using a project to create opportunities for yourself. You could decide that you wanted to research something about an industry that maybe you think you might want to go into. And then you start with your network of people and you say, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's how I want to go about it. Who should I talk to? Here's who I think I'm, I would like to reach out to. And you can list people on there that you don't even have connections to. And then as you continue to talk to different people and kind of show them what it is that you're working on, 
the people that you've identified so far, who you already are connected to, but who maybe you need help getting connected to, and who else is not on here that I should talk to. This will allow you to create new relationships. And it's a it turns, it reduces the ask for the people because you're just asking for 30 minutes of their time. Most people can give you 30 minutes of their time. And when you make that ask and you have a clear thing that you want from it, you'd be amazed what you're able to converse with people about and the, the insights that you're able to get. And this is what I'm personally seeing as I'm interviewing tons and tons of people for this book is that one, I'm able to connect with a lot of people that otherwise might not make time, but it's a very specific ask for a very specific amount of time. And it's interesting what it is that I'm doing. And so, you know, they're curious to learn a little bit and then see if they can add value. In the process, it's allowing me to expand my network significantly of people that are like-minded or working on, you know, similar things where I might be able to help them or they might be able to help me. And so if you know that you're approaching a transition, but you want to have the opportunity to maybe clarify that something is or isn't the right fit or might or might not have opportunities for you, scoping a simple project and then building out a real basic presentation. I I took from what investment banks do. I I was sitting at my desk one night and I said, wait, if an investment bank builds a roadshow before an IPO and uses that to get information and to you know gather all sorts of data, why don't I build a roadshow about this book that I'm working on, identify 15 people that might, you know, that are within my network and would offer me interesting perspectives in advance. And then I started reaching out to people. And I put it all together. And then each presentation, different folks gave me different feedback. It let me refine my central thesis of the book. I identified other people I should talk to. Before I knew it, I had more introductions, too many people booking time, all of this. And it was just through the power of a project. And so however this might work for you, consider ways that you can leverage it to create opportunities for yourself. And, and when you have that and you see what that can do, then I think it will expand your sense of choice and what it is that you decide to do next. Because I, I think that sometimes, and this is not like a sweeping statement, I'm just going to say sometimes, some people take opportunities when they leave the service that they feel like this is the best that they can get. And then they're not fully happy. But doing something like this will allow you to see what opportunities you're able to create on your own and to get curious about what else might you be able to unlock. And so hopefully that's useful for, for somebody. But yes, in March of 2024, I will have a book coming out. It does not have a title yet. It is the TBD <laughs> book at this moment. But when it when it does come out, I will be sure to let you know. And I would love any and all interested parties to to read it. Awesome. Yeah. So definitely using that focus tool, coming with a specific ask. Those are those are all great moments. Oh, Shana, we really appreciate your time. As always, always grateful for your, your mentorship and wisdom over the years. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for the opportunity and uh, keep up the great work. I think this is a great service that you're doing. <laughs>